You're listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs who have sold their companies and the advisors that help them. We elicit expert advice from exit planners, attorneys, merger and acquisition experts, accountants, business appraisers, and financial advisors, all with a goal of educating you about the sales process. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started a sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. And now, here's your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition. Noah Rosenfarb here with another of our episodes for the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. I've got a great guest with us today. Everybody loves it when we bring on different business owners, and today we've got a great one with David Finkelstein. He started his first company over 20 years ago, uh, a great creator and entrepreneur, and went on to do it again and is doing it again. So he's got lots of stories to share with us today. David, thanks for joining us. No problem. I'm happy to do it. Great. So uh, why don't you start by telling our listeners about when you started your first business, what motivated you to get out and create a company, and and walk us through the sale of that business and what you learned. Sure. Uh, Well, the first business was started in 1994. I was actually only about six months out of college. And uh, I guess I kind of always knew I was not the type of person to work for someone else. So uh, I ended up starting my own company um, pretty early at a pretty early age. Uh, it was an internet company, internet service provider, and quite frankly, at the time, I was just looking for internet access. And in 1994, it was kind of hard to come by, but I was used to using it uh, at college. And there really weren't any internet service providers in my area in New Jersey at the time. Uh, So uh, I looked to a friend of mine, and the two of us uh, got together and decided we could uh, start it out on our own. Uh, We did that. uh, Like I said, it was in 1994 when we officially formed the company, although we had started uh, about six months prior. And then, uh, you know, grew the company over the course of about six years and ended up selling it in uh, 2000 to a company called U.S. Cable Corporation, which provides cable systems in about 13 states. Uh, It was uh, an interesting transaction. Uh, At the time, I thought my company was worth more than they thought, (laughs) of course, which is kind of normal. Uh, So it did take a long time for us to negotiate an agreement. Uh, I think that... uh, Overall, I'm happy with the transaction, uh, but mainly because I took the advice of uh, some of the advisors that I had, which I know that you talk about a lot uh, being important, making sure you have advisors that can help you along the way. Um, My advisors were really my accountant and my attorney, and without them, I don't think I could have uh, had a successful transaction. So tell me about before you got U.S. Cable Corporation to make you an offer? Were you shopping the company for sale? What was motivating you and, and what was motivating them and how did, how did you how did you meet up? Well, the, you know, I, I'm not sure what motivated me would be the same as what motivates everybody, but, but for my motivation, it was that uh, I found that I was the type of person that really liked to build the company and we were, you know, 
the company we were running was uh, running pretty well, and it was getting to the point where I found myself spending more time managing people than building the company. And for me, the the day-to-day management of people was what made me want to sell the company. Uh, it just wasn't in my character. Uh, I always tell the story that uh, one day I was got into the office and never really sat down at my desk. Uh, spent the whole day going from desk to desk, helping other people, managing everyone. And by the end of the day, I realized uh, I still had a bagel from breakfast sitting on my desk. And that's when I, <laughs> that's when I realized that I no longer enjoyed what I was doing. Um, and I guess I had the option of maybe hiring somebody to manage the business more so I could concentrate on growing it. Uh, but at the time, there was uh, in 19... When I first was looking to sell the company was uh, 1993, um, and the dot-com bubble was, was huge then. Uh, it hadn't burst yet. So, you know, Internet companies were selling at really high multiples, and I said to myself, wow, this is a really good time to sell the company. Uh, so I really spent, quite frankly, uh, about nine months, um, six to nine months just looking for a buyer. Um, I worked with uh, various different brokers to help me find the right buyer um, and took some of the wise advice from some of my advisors not to do a few deals, actually, um, that I was offered. Uh, There were a lot of companies at that time which were trying to do reverse IPOs and rolling up ISPs and things like that, and a lot of things that didn't have much of a guarantee of of success. And uh, my advisors were telling me, get as much cash as you could in the deal, um, because you just don't know what the future is going to bring when someone else takes over your company and how successful they're going to be able to make it. Um, So at that time, uh, we ended up finding actually the uh, one of the advisors. I mean, one of the brokers I was working with had uh, introduced me to U.S. Cable, and uh, they had made me a, a really sizable offer that uh, unfortunately got talked down quite a bit after the uh, dot-com bubble burst. And they started saying, well, the company's not as valuable as it, as it used to be because all Internet companies were not quite as valuable as they were uh, at that time. But we ended up coming to terms and coming to an agreeable deal. So did you do any housekeeping at the recommendation of the business brokers, or were you pretty much you know, trying to run the business half the day and trying to sell it the other half? Um, I, I actually did do a lot of housekeeping. Um, over that time, mostly from the the advice of my accountant and my lawyer, um, the the broker also came in and helped do essentially help me clean up some things that they knew that other companies would want to see um, in their due diligence. Um, so, from an accounting point of view, we made sure that we had everything um, documented. Uh, all our contracts and everything, um, as well as employment agreements and everything as well. Um, we just made sure that we had kind of everything ready so that when a buyer was was uh, was there and wanted to do their due diligence, that we were able to pre- you know present them with everything that they needed to see. Yeah. So you're, from the time you first hired a business broker until the time your deal was closed, was it a, did it end up being two years? It ended up being about a year and a half. Yeah, about a year and a half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the the, the deal uh, the deal took somewhere I, I don't recall exactly, but somewhere around nine months to to close. 
and uh, I was looking for about six to nine months, so easily a year and a half. Right. Okay. Uh, so what would you say was the kind of the biggest lesson you learned through that process, that year and a half, before you got to post-closing? But what did you learn pre-closing that you think our listeners should, you know, you know learn from you from a, what you did right or what you did wrong? Well, that, you mentioned one thing is the housekeeping. That's definitely an important point. I mean, I spent a lot of time in that year and a half making sure that I had, uh, you know, that had – basically all of the company's documentation in order. Um, you know, luckily, <laughs> I guess in a way, luckily, it, it took a year and a half to close the deal, so I had a lot of time to, to do that. But I would, I would definitely recommend that if someone's looking to sell a company to think about that first um, because it doesn't always take a year and a half. Um, and, and if you do find a, a buyer early on, you don't want them to come asking for something and then you don't have it. Uh, it, it just will give them the wrong the wrong taste in their mouth and and could cause a you know potential buyer to back out. Yeah, uh, one of the things that we often recommend when we work with owners that are just contemplating what the next transition is going to be for them, whether you know it's going to be to an outside buyer at the highest price or maybe it's going to be to a private equity firm or even sometimes to a management team is. Let's do the pre-sale due diligence because uh, it's a great investment of time and effort and energy and money. Like segregate all your data, get all your ducks in a row, have it all somewhere, and that way it's it's not going to be a problem. <clears throat> you know, when somebody comes knocking and they want to see some records, you don't have to have every, all of your management team running around trying to find the information for them to comply with their request. So yeah, I absolutely. Agree with that one. Uh, so how about post-closing? Tell, tell us a little bit about what happened after the sale, what was your role, and uh, how'd it go? Uh, well, post-closing, uh, what happened was they took our my Internet company, and it became more or less a, a division of one of their companies. It was not their parent company, but a subsidiary, um, which was a local cable affiliate. Um, I think that uh, I learned learned a few lessons in the deal. For one, uh, I, I I ended up with some stock that was not in the parent company; it was in the subsidiary, which uh, limited its growth capabilities. Um, so I I kind of learned a little bit from that. But uh, I also learned that I had to deal with the fact that I was running a company still that was now a division of their company. So I was really working for someone else, no longer working for myself. And that was a, a difficult transition for me to have a company for six years where I made all the decisions and then overnight I no longer make the decisions. Um, they made the decisions and what they said you know, I had to do. Uh, I didn't always agree with those decisions and it was a really tough year for me. I ended up uh, only spending one year with them after that. Um, and I think that I hadn't really anticipated how difficult it would be to work for someone else um, in that manner. Uh, had I known that, I might have tried to agree to do it more on a consulting level instead of uh, full-time employment level. Yeah, I think a lot of owners don't necessarily think that through in advance, and they have to kind of take the deal structure as it comes to them. And one of the benefits of advanced planning is you can talk through with your uh, advisors and, you know, with your exit plan or whoever it is that's kind of taking the lead with you, 
to say, you know, do you really want to work for the buyer? Let's go through the responsibilities and the authority that you'd have. And uh, we just had a great guest on last week. He was talking about um, CapEx, you know, and that if you're an owner that's used to being able to make CapEx decisions in your company and, you know, think freely about what you want to do to grow your business, and now you're constrained with a CapEx budget that's controlled by higher authorities that, you know, you're just one, one division of part of a larger entity, it'll drive you nuts. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly experienced that in the, in this yeah. transaction as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so then what happened? Uh, one of the things you had mentioned to me when we were talking about our interview was, um, you know, get, getting a tax bill that maybe you could have been better prepared for, uh, structured around some uh, tax implications that you had to the deal. So, it, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, what was the lesson learned there and um, Definitely. You know, maybe for our, our listeners, what should they be thinking about as it relates to their accounting and tax? Uh, Definitely, that's uh, that's another mistake I've learned from. <laughs> um, it's 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 okay to have mistakes as long as you learn from. Um, you know, I started this business when I was straight, you know, six months out of college. So uh, business structures and things like that, and I didn't go to business school. So business structures and things like that and tax, uh, I really had, had knew very little about. Um, and unfortunately, throughout my years of owning this business, I actually had a new accountant every, I'd say every two years because uh, I just wasn't happy with the accountants I had all the time. So I, uh, I wish I had the accountant that I have now, but I didn't. So one of the things was that we had, uh, when we formed the company, we had formed it as a C corporation. And the buyer wanted to do an asset sale. They wanted to buy the assets of the company. And the way the company was structured, um, as a C corporation, uh, you know, I still don't understand all the the ins and outs of tax accounting, but the bottom line was uh, my accountant said, wow, you know, if we had known this and we could have uh, – actually, my next accountant, not the accountant that did the transaction, the next accountant I had said, well, if you had done that deal as an LLC, we could have saved you a lot of money in taxes. Um, right. So, you know, it's a live and learn type of thing. Um, not knowing, you know, exactly how that worked when I formed the company and certainly not knowing, at, you know, before the sale of the company what type of uh, transaction they would do, a stock or a or a uh, asset uh, purchase. So, uh, you know, it's a lesson learned, and, and quite frankly now every company I've built since has been either an S-corporation or an LLC. Yeah, and I think a lot of owners um, don't understand the complexity and distinction between asset sales and stock sales. If you look on the Divestopedia website and uh, type in asset sale or stock sale or go to the glossary, you'll see a bunch of terms, and uh, it'll walk you through the differences between asset sales and stock sales for any of our listeners that want more information. Um, So tell me, after you stopped working with the cable company – what happened next? Did you did you start a new business right away, or was that when you wrote the uh, the interactive book that you you had shared with me? Yeah, that's actually when I wrote the interactive book. I, I kind of took some time off. Uh, you know, my, my wife wasn't happy about it at the time because she, she wasn't happy. There wasn't uh, I wasn't generating any income, but uh, I was pretty satisfied with the the money I made off the sale and thought I deserved to take some time off. So I, I took some time off and we traveled a little bit. And, and, and while we were doing that, I was writing that interactive CD. Um, 
thought that the things that I had learned through the transaction um, would be useful for those uh, uh, those that you know were looking to sell their business. Uh, I thought maybe I could help some people out uh, by letting them learn from my mistakes. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's what we're looking to do on the show. So I guess you had the idea before these podcasts existed. Absolutely. Um, so, so tell me about that. Just it, it was intriguing to me that you were you know selling the CDs at the back of Entrepreneur Magazine. Did, did you think that there could be a business there? Was it more of a, I just want to share my experience with others? Honestly, it was just um... – just about wanting to share my experience with others, um, you know, we sold the the CD fairly cheaply, just uh, you know, just to cover costs. Um, and I was kind of doing that while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next, uh, what my next business would be. And, and, and in all honesty, it kind of led me into my my next business uh, idea. How'd that happen? Tell me, connect the dots. Well, you know, it all just started out with wanting to educate business owners. Um, and help them, you know, learn what I learned through my transaction. And then I started thinking about, uh, from a small business perspective, uh, what other uh, types of products or services I could provide to help them. And uh, at the time, Internet advertising was kind of getting bigger and bigger. And I said, you know, I wonder if there's a product that I could build that would help people advertise their business better. And uh, at the time... The contextual advertising was kind of like the new thing, trying to match ads with content so that people can uh, target their ads better. Before then, people were just kind of throwing ads out on the Internet and hoping somebody would click. And I was intrigued by the fact that contextual targeting was kind of something that would really help businesses be able to target their ads better instead of just having to blindly throw ads out there on the Internet. And that's kind of what made me connect the dots and and found another business that could help businesses. Uh, so t- tell me about that. How did that get started, and uh, who were your partners, and you know what w- what were the mechanics of, of that business? Well, it turned out actually I had started talking about the concept with someone that worked for me at uh, at, at NIS, uh, the company I'd sold, and two of us started talking about ideas, just brainstorming ideas of, of what we might be able to do. Um, put a whole bunch of uh, flowcharts and things down on paper and how it would work. And then uh, we actually started it out with uh, as an eBay affiliate. Our very first uh, product from Contextuads was actually an, an eBay auction ad, as we called it, which helped people that were selling things on eBay to target those auctions within an ad. And within an ad unit, and uh, we we were actually the first uh, and only, as far as I know, uh, eBay affiliate developer that had created a product that integrated both their developer API and their affiliate program, which enabled us to make money through uh, commissions from eBay uh, for helping people target ads. Uh, and then uh, eBay actually uh, inquired with us about licensing that technology at one point as well. That's very cool. So that company is still in existence? Yeah, it's grown and changed a lot um, ever since we started it. Uh, about We started it in 2002. So, uh, you know, we're we're into our 11th year. And Contextuads, although we still have the name, we actually uh, – 
target our ads mostly behavioral um, over the years, contextual targeting kind of, uh, you know, it's still being used, but it is being used a lot less, and, and behavioral targeting has become more of the focus in the advertising world. And our ads, our ad system now targets ads behaviorally, contextually, and, and geographically, and ultimately uh, works to help find the best best method of uh, targeting an ad for a user to make sure that the ads that they see are ads relative to things that they're interested in. And, and who are your customers in that company? Well, what we did is we we wanted to build a model that enabled us to work independently uh, without having to hire too many staff members. Um, as you may recall, I mentioned that managing people was not one of my, my uh, favorite things about my prior company. So we actually looked at partnering with companies that already had advertisers so that we wouldn't have to sell the advertising. And we're actually partnered with companies like AT&T and, and, and uh, Verizon and a few other major um, yellow page type companies that have large audiences of advertisers and we basically provide a third party service to them to help target ads for them. That's great. So uh, while you're busy running this business, you've, you've done some other things on the side. Do you want to talk about uh, maybe free air miles and, and tell our listeners how you got involved with that while you're still running contextual ads and, and where that went? Sure, absolutely. Uh, FreeAirMiles.com was a company that was actually started by my brother-in-law's brother, and he came to me. This was uh, uh, this was back when I had uh, my ISP service, and uh, he, knowing that I was doing in in owning an internet business, uh, he decided to come to me and see if I could help him start this uh, company. He had the idea essentially of building a website where. Basically, you could interact with advertisers and, and various uh, types of things like take surveys and things like that on the website. But in exchange for doing that, you were actually earning uh, airline miles. And uh, we essentially built uh, my company and the developers that I had built the back end of the system that would manage this whole thing. Um, and it was a great business, actually. Uh, we had partnerships with American Airlines and a whole bunch of other airlines, as, as well as uh, a bunch of travel websites. So when people earn miles, they could either transfer them directly to their airline or they could buy uh, tickets with any airline through the travel sites that we worked with. Um, we'd basically just convert those those miles to, to dollars for them through the travel agencies. Interesting. And and so what happened with that exit? Why why was he looking to get out and and what what was motivating him to want to look for a buyer? Well, what motivated him was uh the dot com dot com bubble burst and he got really worried to be honest with you. And uh I, you know, I was a minority shareholder so I didn't have much control and I I tried to to encourage him to stick with it because uh at the time I hadn't started Contextual Edge yet, but I could see the future of internet advertising and I knew that advertising was was a big part of what was driving uh you know where our revenue was coming from for free air miles so i I was pretty confident that internet advertising was still had a lot of growing to do and that it wasn't going to be affected long term by that dot com burst and uh 
but he was quite worried about it without having the internet experience that I had. Uh, so he was, you know, destined to find a transaction uh, and ended up finding, uh, getting an offer. It was an all-stock offer from a company called SearchHound. Most people don't even know who SearchHound was. SearchHound.com was, interestingly enough, the first company to come out with paid uh, pay-per-click search listings, much like Google has made billions of dollars off of. Um, SearchHound actually started that and did it before Google, but obviously Google did it better. <laughs> was that company public when they looked to acquire you? Yeah, they were. They were. Yeah, they were a public company. Um, the deal essentially was uh, they they acquired FreeRMouse for what turned out to be about a million dollars worth of uh, their stock. And, uh, you know, the big mistake and the big uh, lesson learned there is that the stock was restricted, um, unregistered, and uh, was restricted for a year. And by the time the restriction was up, you know, the company was worth pennies. They had driven the company down into the ground and was losing money, and the stock was worth pennies and eventually went bankrupt. Yeah, that's... uh... That that happens, you know. It happens more yep. often than people would think. And mm-hmm. uh, one one of the unique strategies that we've used for clients are prepaid variable forward contracts. And these are kind of complex, but oftentimes you could take restricted stock and essentially through a series of derivative transactions, you'll get a certain percentage of the today's value in cash. And if the stock goes up, maybe you'll get some more money by the time your restrictions lift. And mm-hmm. if the stock goes down, you, you're, you're fine. <laughs> you know, you're you're in the clear. Um, so for, for certain people that are selling to, you know, publicly traded companies that have a, a reasonable amount of liquidity, uh, you can enter into one of these types of derivative contracts if there's enough value you. Um, That's interesting that you say that. Is that is, is that what Mark Cuban did? Do you know? I don't know, but but, but it's I'm, likely because after he sold the you know the market tanked and he still had yeah. billions. Yeah, I thought I, I, I'm not. I can't say for certain, but I thought someone had told me that Mark Cuban had done that with Yahoo, when he sold uh, his company to Yahoo. And that's that why he ended up. Uh, yeah, and that's why he ended up uh, being so, so successful and, and not not uh, you know getting killed on the transaction. Right. So, uh, so then take me back to Contextuads and, and where you're at. And you had mentioned, you know, you and your partner thought about maybe exiting that company. So, what what's prompting you there? What's been your track? And what are you going to do different this time that you didn't do last time? Yeah, one of the lessons I learned from from my previous sale was to to sell when your company is doing well. Um, you know, that's uh, I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make. A lot of people end up deciding to sell when their company's not doing well, and it's like they're like, okay, well, you know, I, I want to get out of this and I want to sell it, but then it really doesn't have any value then uh, because people, the potential buyers, see that it's you know, company's going downhill. Um, so at the time. Last year, my partner and I had gotten together and said, you know, the company's doing pretty well. Maybe we should uh, look to sell. And we spent about six months talking. Uh, we've, we got representation, and we they made us uh, a bunch of introductions. And we got a bunch of offers. To be honest with you, we did get two offers, but uh, they weren't what we were looking for out of the out of the company. And we made the executive decision, essentially, to turn down those offers uh, because, you know, we just thought that the, the company not only 
had more more value than what they were offering, but more potential value as well, and that it just wasn't wasn't the deal for us. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, w- what I hear from you is, you know, sometimes you, you buy your own company at the price other people are willing to pay. And, yeah. You know, stick stick with it. And I, yeah, absolutely. I have a little saying to owners um, in, in my book, Exit Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise, uh, we talk about, you know, if you think about what you're going to do next. So, you know, if you if you did sell and you leave contextual ads and, you know, you're onto something else, and it's likely to be something in a similar space, like, well, just love the one you're with, you know? Yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, you, there's this kind Concept that the grass might be greener, but maybe you could, uh, you know, stay in your business a little longer, build it up a little differently, and uh, reap the rewards yourself. And a lot of times, for owners, when they look at offers, especially in the the kind of lower middle market, or you know, the, the people where people are making a nice living, you know, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, they go to sell their company, and they realize, you know what? I should just work another two or three years, <laughs> and, and you yeah. know, I'll make I'll make just as much, and you know, we'll, we'll kick the can down the road, and maybe uh, two or three years from now, I can still sell it for the same price if I'm if I'm around, and if I'm not, well, then you know that's okay too. That's exactly where our decision came from, and then we basically looked at their offer and looked at what we would be getting after taxes, and said to ourselves, you know what? We're going to make that in a year and a half just by keeping the company. So what's the point? Uh, we were looking for a transaction that would give us. Uh, uh, essentially, somewhere between three or four years worth of worth of income, uh, in order for it to make sense for us. And you know, their, the offers we received was only a year and a half's worth of income. It's like we can continue to run the business even as is without growing it for a year and a half and and still own the business. So it didn't really make any sense uh, for us. It was, you know, just as you described it. Yeah. Um, so t- tell me, tell us what you could share with the listeners that you think would be valuable, either about you know preparing a company for sale, uh, hiring your advisors, you know thinking about taxes, whatever it is that you think um, you've learned over time, either good or bad, that you want to share with our listeners. Yeah, you know, to summarize, I mean, you know, what we talked about about having the right advisors is extremely important. You know, want to make sure you have at least an accountant and a lawyer that you really trust um, that you're been with for either been with for a long time or, or really trust. A lot of people think, you know, oh, my my brother-in-law is an accountant. Let me, you know, I'll just work with him. But you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's the right person for your company. Um, so. You know, you really need to make sure that the person that you're using has full knowledge and experience with your business, your type of business, um, how your business is structured, and and is able to advise you uh, properly. And the same goes for for an attorney uh, when you're doing this type of transaction. That's extremely important because chances are the buyer that you're going to sell to is going to be a bigger company, and they're going to have be spending more money on attorneys, so they're going to have really good attorneys. And you want to make sure yours is just as good as well. Um, you know, overall record keeping is extremely important. A lot of people overlook the importance of record keeping, and it seems like such a tedious task on a day-to-day basis, uh, having to make sure that you have good records in-house. Uh, but it sure saves you a heck of a lot of time. Um, you know, when it comes to doing a tra- doing a transaction, because the buyer is going to want to see every little detail of where every penny's gone in your company. And if you can't show it to them, they're going to get really uncomfortable. And you don't want to make a buyer uncomfortable because if somebody's potentially going to be giving you lots of money, you want to make sure that they're extremely comfortable. Because uh, if they're not, you know, you could uh, you could lose them at any point in time. All good advice. Uh, 
So, David, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us today. If uh, any of our listeners had a question about something you said or maybe they're a potential Contextuads client, um, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, you know, it's, my email is david at contextuads.com. It's C-O-N-T-E-X-T-U-A-D-S.com. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody that, uh, you know, needs advice. Uh, I'm always... Uh, kind of looking to uh, help anyone I can as far as business owners that I that I know and anyone that uh, comes to me that seeking help because quite frankly you know as business owners we all need to help each other yeah great well uh, thanks again for joining us to all of our listeners please don't forget to rate us on iTunes leave us your feedback uh, you go to Divestopedia for more resources and join us again for another in our series of podcasts and reach out to us whenever you need help take care and have a great day thanks for listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started the sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. If you have any questions about today's podcast, you can contact your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition at 855-540-0400. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us your feedback. Until next time, this is the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast.